The Adventure of the Mason from the Alhambra by Washington Irving There was once upon a time a poor mason, a bricklayer in Granada, who kept all the saints' days and holidays and Saint Monday into the bargain, and yet with all his devotion he grew poorer and poorer and could scarcely earn bread for his numerous family. One night he was roused from his sleep by a knocking at his door. He opened it, and beheld before him a tall, meagre, cadaverous-looking priest. Hark ye, honest friend, said the stranger. I've observed that you are a good Christian and one to be trusted. Will you undertake a job this very night? With all my heart, Signor Padre, on condition that I am paid accordingly. That you shall be, but you must suffer yourself to be blindfolded. To this the mason made no objection, so, being hoodwinked, he was led by the priest through various rough lanes and winding passages until they stopped before the portal of a house. The priest then applied a key, turned a creaking lock, and opened what sounded like a ponderous door. They entered, the door was closed and bolted, and the mason was conducted through an echoing corridor in a spacious hall to an interior part of the building. Here the bandage was removed from his eyes, and he found himself in a patio, or court, dimly lighted by a single lamp. In the center was the dry basin of an old Moorish fountain, under which the priest requested him to form a small vault, bricks and mortar being at hand for the purpose. He accordingly worked all night, but without finishing the job, just before daybreak, 
the priest put a piece of gold into his hand, and having again blindfolded him, conducted him back to his dwelling. Are you willing, said he, to return and complete your work? Gladly, Signor Padre, provided I am so well paid. Well then, tomorrow night at midnight I will call again. He did so, and the vault was completed. Now, said the priest, you must help me to bring forth these bodies that are to be buried in this vault. The poor mason's hair rose on his head at these words. He followed the priest with trembling steps into a retired chamber of the mansion, expecting to behold some ghastly spectacle of death, but was relieved on perceiving three or four portly jars standing in one corner. They were evidently full of money, and it was with great labor that he and the priest carried them forth and consigned them to their tomb. The vault was then closed, the pavement replaced, and all traces of the work were obliterated. The mason was again hoodwinked and led forth by a route different from that by which he had come. After they had wandered for a long time through a perplexed maze of lanes and alleys, they halted. The priest then put two pieces of gold into his hand. Wait here, said he, until you hear the cathedral bell toll for maintenance. If you presume to uncover your eyes before that time, evil will befall you. So saying, he departed. The mason waited faithfully, amusing himself by weighing the gold pieces in his hand and clinking them against each other. The moment the cathedral bell rang its matin peal, he uncovered his eyes and found himself on the banks of the channel. Whence he made the best of his way home and travelled with his family for a whole fortnight on the profits of his two nights' work, after which he was as poor as ever. He continued to work a little and pray a good deal and keep saints' days and holidays from year to year while his family grew up as gaunt and ragged as a crew of gypsies. As he was seated one evening at the door of his hovel, he was accosted by a rich old Camagian who was noted for owning many houses and being a griping landlord. The man of money eyed him for a moment beneath a pair of anxious, shagged eyebrows. I am told, friend, that you are very poor. There's no denying the fact, senor. It speaks for itself. I presume, then, that you will be glad of a job and will work cheap. As cheap, my master, as any mason in Granada. That's what I want. I have an old house fallen into decay, which costs me more money than it is worth keeping it in repair, for nobody will live in it. So I must contrive to patch it up and keep it together at as small expense as possible. The mason was accordingly conducted to a large deserted house that seemed going to ruin. Passing through several empty halls and chambers, he entered an inner court, where his eye was caught by an old Moorish fountain. 
He paused for a moment, for a dreaming recollection of the place came over him. Pray, said he, who occupied this house formerly? A pest upon him, cried the landlord. It was an old miserly priest who cared for nobody but himself. He was said to be immensely rich, and having no relations, it was thought that he would leave all his treasures to the church. He died suddenly, and the priest and friars thronged to take possession of his wealth. But nothing could they find but a few ducats in a leathern purse. The worst luck has fallen on me, for since his death, the old fellow continues to occupy my house without paying rent, and there's no taking the law of a dead man. The people pretend to hear the clinking of gold all night in the chamber where the old priest slept, as if he were counting over his money, and sometimes a groaning and mourning about the court. Whether true or false, these stories have brought a bad name on my house, and not a tenant will remain in it. Enough, said the mason sturdily. Let me live in your house rent-free until some better tenant present, and I will engage to put it in repair, and to quiet the troubled spirit that disturbs it. I am a good Christian, and a poor man, and am not to be daunted by the devil himself, even though he should come in the shape of a big bag of money. The offer of the honest mason was gladly accepted. He moved with his family into the house and fulfilled all his engagements. By little and little he restored it to its former state. The clinking of gold was no more heard at night in the chamber of the defunct priest, but began to be heard by day in the pocket of the living mason. In a word, he increased rapidly in wealth to the admiration of all his neighbors and became one of the richest men in Granada. He gave large sums to the church, by way, no doubt, of satisfying his conscience, and never revealed the secret of the vault, until on his deathbed to his son and heir. End of The Adventure of the Mason By Washington Irving Thank you, everyone, for listening to People's Guide to the Cthulhu Mythos. Check out the show at pgttcm.com. Check out the show notes on your listening device, on your smart device, on your laptop, or however you're checking this show out. Follow the show notes to check out the people who have been on the show as guests. Find out what the books they're working on, or art projects, or movies. And of course, check out the sponsors. Support the people who support us. Find cool stuff from those folks over at Psychedelic Water. It's water with mild psychedelics that are legal in America. Suspended in green tea and other delicious flavors. And we've also got Taza Chocolate. And Taza Chocolate, they are out of Somerset, Massachusetts. It's stone ground chocolate. They use dairy alternatives. It's vegan. And oh my good, 
It is, it is really good. Some of them come in bars. Some of them come in those eels, like the abuelita. You can mix it in, into, uh, you make your own hot chocolate. It's really good stuff. I really, you can eat it by itself. And that's Tasa. That's in the show notes. Who else do we got? We got Glary. Oh, man, I love Glary. Glary is really inexpensive guitars. You can get some really good prices on amplifiers, get good prices on mandolins. They've got all kinds of cool stuff, not just guitars. I love guitars, but Glary has more than just guitars. Copper Cow. Okay, Copper Cow is amazing. It's these little packages that have this uh, coffee already inside. Some of them come with creamers. It's flavors like black, lavender, churro, uh, uh, salt caramel. They've got some really good flavors. I really like the lavender and the black. I'm going to try the churro pretty soon. Um, I have friends who have purchased this and they highly recommend it. Coffee from Vietnam and just this really, 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 really good Vietnamese pour-over coffee that I highly recommend. Golden Goat CBD. Check it out. Golden Goat CBD. I have anxiety issues. I love, I live in a state where you can purchase uh, cannabis legally, so I don't go with their Delta, Delta 8, but do you, do you live somewhere where you can't just, I don't know, walk three blocks and everyone goes, hey, DB, and you get your order that you phoned in and then go home and then work on your podcast. No, maybe you live someplace that's awful. What if you're in Texas? Anyway, uh, check out, check out, check them out. Golden Goat, CBD, Delta 8. They have chewables. They've got uh, gummies. They've got cool stuff like that. They've got uh, tinctures and whatever you need to get you going in the direction you need to be going. The Fretwire. DIY guitar, guitar parts, and guitar accessories. Centrally located in Utah. Get what you want. Pretty darn quick. The Fretwire. So yeah, they've got a pretty good community of people. It doesn't matter if you're a beginner or an advanced lutineer. The Fretwire, they've got people who will answer your questions. I assume they're, they're comment boards and stuff like that when I have questions on like, oh man, I want to make a baritone flying V, uh, but how am I going to get a baritone neck on a Gibson body? Wait a minute, this flying V was so custom already that, oh man, okay. Better check the Fretwire forums, see if anyone else has had this problem. And generally, since there's so many people with the Fretwire, that work with the Fretwire, that do stuff with the Fretwire, it's like having a massive community. And also, pretty good prices, uh, pretty decent shipping, and I have to say, I, I like them. I've, I've worked with other companies in the past for building guitars. I like the Fretwire. And, yeah, if you want to get into building guitars, if you've just, I don't know, during the pandemic, did you learn how to play guitar and want to build them? I did the opposite way around first. I learned how to build guitars, and then I learned how to set up guitars, and then I learned how to play guitars. So, I don't know, maybe you want to do it the opposite way of me. You know how to play a guitar, now you want to learn the guts of it. Anyway, Fretwire's got you covered. Check them out in the show notes. Back to the show. Read for you by Chiquito Crosto. On the Brighton Road, slowly the sun had climbed up the hard white downs till it broke with little of the mysterious ritual of dawn upon a sparkling world of snow. There had been a hard frost during the night, and the birds, who hopped about here and there with scant tolerance of life, 
left no trace of their passage on the silver pavements. In places, the sheltered caverns of the hedges broke the monotony of the whiteness that had fallen upon the colored earth, and overhead, the sky melted from orange to deep blue, from deep blue to a blue so pale that it suggested a thin paper screen rather than illimitable space. Across the level fields there came a cold, silent wind which blew a fine dust of snow from the trees but hardly stirred the crested hedges. Once above the skyline, the sun seemed to climb more quickly and as it rose higher, it began to give out a heat that blended with the keenness of the wind. It may have been the strange alternation of heat and cold that disturbed the tramp in his dreams, for he struggled for a moment with the snow that covered him, like a man who finds himself twisted uncomfortably in the bedclothes, and then sat up with staring, questioning eyes. Lord, I thought I was in bed, he said to himself, as he took in the vacant landscape, and all the while I was out here. He stretched his limbs, and, rising carefully to his feet, shook the snow off his body. As he did so, the wind set him shivering, and he knew that his bed had been warm. Come, I feel pretty fit, he thought. I suppose I am lucky to wake at all in this. All unlucky. It isn't much of a business to come back to. He looked up and saw the downs shining against the blue like the Alps on a picture postcard. That means another forty miles or so, I suppose, he continued grimly. Lord knows what I did yesterday. Walked till I was done. And now I'm only about twelve miles from Brighton. Damn the snow. Damn Brighton. Damn everything. The sun crept higher and higher, and he started walking patiently along the road with his back turned to the hills. Am I glad or sorry that it was only sleep that took me? Glad or sorry? Glad or sorry? His thoughts seemed to arrange themselves in a metrical accompaniment to the steady thud of his footsteps, and he hardly sought an answer to his question. It was good enough to walk to. Presently, when three milestones had loitered past, he overtook a boy who was stooping to light a cigarette. He wore no overcoat and looked unspeakably fragile against the snow. Are you on the road, Governor? asked the boy huskily as he passed. I think I am, the tramp said. Oh, then I'll come a bit of the way with you if you don't walk too fast. It's a bit lonesome walking this time of day. The tramp nodded his head, and the boy started limping along by his side. I'm eighteen, he said casually. I bet you thought I was younger. Fifteen, I'd have said. You'd have backed a loser. Eighteen last August, and I've been on the road six years. I ran away from home five times when I was little and and the police took me back each time. Very good to me, the police was. Now I haven't got a home to run away from. Nor have I, the tramp said calmly. Oh, I can see what you are, the boy panted. You're a gentleman come down. 
It's harder for you than for me. The tramp glanced at the limping, feeble figure and lessened his pace. I haven't been at it as long as you have, he admitted. No, I could tell that by the way you walk. You haven't got tired yet. Perhaps you expect something at the other end. The tramp reflected for a moment. I don't know, he said bitterly. I'm always expecting things. You'll grow out of that, the boy commented. It's warmer in London, but it's harder to come by grub. There isn't much in it, really. Still, there's a chance of meeting somebody there who will understand. Country people are better, the boy interrupted. Last night, I took a lease of a barn for nothing and slept with the cows. And this morning, the farmer routed me out and gave me tea and toke because I was so little. Of course, I scold there. But in London, soup on the embankment at night and all the rest of the time, coppers moving you on. I dropped by the roadside last night and slept where I fell. It's a wonder I didn't die, the tramp said. The boy looked at him sharply. How did you know you didn't? He said. I don't see it, the tramp said after a pause. I tell you, the boy said hoarsely. People like us can't get away from this sort of thing if we want to. Always hungry and thirsty and dog-tired and walking all the time. And yet, if anyone offers me a nice home and work, my stomach feels sick. Do I look strong? I know I'm little for my age, but I've been knocking about like this for six years. And do you think I'm not dead? I was drowned bathing at Margate, and I was killed by a gypsy with a spike. He knocked my head right in, and twice I was froze like you last night, and a motor cut me down on this very road. And yet I'm walking along here now, walking to London to walk away from it again, because I can't help it. Dead, I tell you, we can't get away if we want to. The boy broke off in a fit of coughing, and the tramp paused while he recovered. You'd better borrow my coat for a bit, Tommy, he said. Your cough's pretty bad. You go to hell. The boy said fiercely, puffing at a cigarette. I'm all right. I was telling you about the road. You haven't got down to it yet, but you'll find out presently. We're all dead, all of us who are on it. And we're all tired, yet somehow we can't leave it. There's nice smells in the summer, dust and hay and the wind smack in your face on a hot day. And it's nice waking up in the wet grass on a fine morning. I don't know, I don't know. He lurched forward suddenly, and the tramp caught him in his arms. I'm sick, the boy whispered, sick. The tramp looked up and down the road, but he could see no houses or any sign of help. Yet even as he supported the boy doubtfully in the middle of the road, a motor car suddenly flashed in the middle distance and came smoothly through the snow. 
What's the trouble? Said the driver quietly as he pulled up. I'm a doctor. He looked at the boy keenly and listened to his strained breathing. Pneumonia, he commented. I'll give him a lift to the infirmary, and you too, if you like. The tramp thought of the workhouse and shook his head. I'd rather walk, he said. The boy winked faintly as they lifted him into the car. I'll meet you beyond Rygate, he murmured to the tramp. You'll see. And the car vanished along the white road. All the morning, the tramp splashed through the thawing snow. But at midday, he baked some bread at a cottage door and crept into a lonely barn to eat it. It was warm in there, and after his meal he fell asleep among the hay. It was dark when he woke and started trudging once more through the slushy roads. Two miles beyond Rygate, a figure, a fragile figure, slipped out of the darkness to meet him. On the road, go now, said a husky voice. Then I'll come a bit of the way with you if you don't walk too fast. It's a bit lonesome walking this time of day. But the pneumonia, cried the tramp aghast. I died at Crawley this morning, said the boy. End of On the Brighton Road by Richard Middleton Read for you by Chiquito Crosto, Birmingham, Alabama What a bunch of spookiness that was. I hope we learned our lesson and whatever the moral of that spooky story was. Or we just got spooked. Anyway, hey everyone, I hope you're having a good time. I hope you're having fun enjoying these spooky stories. I'm trying to keep the music to the minimum because someone said, hey, it's too loud and it's distracting from the spookiness. And I said, hey, I'm not that great at creating atmosphere for spookiness unless it's like an RPG or a haunted house. Anyway, so thanks everyone for listening to People's Guide to the Cthulhu Mythos. I have been your host, DB. Join us weekly when Farmer Dave and I get more into the Cthulhu mythos and less about spooky stories. And we have special guests like Ken Height, Scott Glancy. In the past, we had Rodney Anonymous of the Dead Milkman. with all kinds of various writers, game designers, artists, musicians. You name it, we've had them on. And yeah, thank you so much for listening. And join us again. Rate, review, subscribe, tell your ma, tell your pa, or I'll ship you down to South Agua. You're going to get that shirt in the shop. P-G-T-T-C-M dot com. Check the show notes. Check out our sponsors. Check out the links. Check it out. And goodbye. Goodbye.